Please find the 42nd Psalm. The 42nd Psalm. It's unfortunate that there is a division between Psalm 42 and 43 because they're really the same psalm. And they're divided for some reason, but they are actually the same. But I'll read Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for Thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. I want you to note the inscription that is attached to the beginning of this psalm. It's a maskeel. A maskeel is a teaching or a lesson that comes out of an experience. The sons of Korah is called a maskeel of the sons of Korah for the choir director, chief. The sons of Korah is a family of musicians that were perpetuated through the years. Grandfather and father and son... And so this is really, Psalm 42 is a lesson that these, um, this family of musicians were teaching concerning an experience in the life of the chief musician, who is David, of course. And it's really a teaching or a lesson that arises, that comes out of, of the exile of David as he fled from Saul and hid in the cave. So it is a lesson to be learned from the experience of King David's exile. Now, what is the lesson? Well, the clue to the lesson is in the phrase that occurs several times in the psalm, in me, within me. Why are you disquieted within me? Why are you in despair within me? Why is there trouble in me? 
And it is a reference to this inner turmoil that was going on in the life of David in the exile. It was really, it is really a reference to the depression that David experienced while in exile. King David's blues. Now, it just kind of points up the fact that everybody is, you know, subject or susceptible to depression, and nobody's exempt from it. And it just magnifies the fact that even God's people experience depression, that it, it would come perhaps as a shock to some of you to, to, to recognize how often the Psalms deal with depression. And the surprise of that is, is that most of us think of the Psalms as these Psalms of joy and songs of praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing. But the Psalms are really littered, are, are uh, replete with these uh, lessons concerning depression. Now that's a bitter pill for some of us to swallow. Because some people just feel like that depression is out of place with God's people. That if you're a Christian, you never get depressed. And that if you're walking with God, depression will never come. And so some of us, even though we're depressed, wouldn't admit it. And we paint these plastic smiles on our face and we go on like, you know, everything is great. When all the while it is true that God's people do get depressed. Some of you may know Spurgeon's story. No doubt the greatest expositor that England ever had, and perhaps the world has ever had, lived most of his life struggling with depression. He died when he was 58 from the gout, but he lived all of his life trying to overcome depression. And he would come to America and spend six months at a time just trying to get over depression. He called them fretful fits. And on Sunday morning he'd preach in Metropolitan Pulpit, and we started preaching there when he was 28 and he literally packed the place out, standing room only. And people would wait in the cold to get in to hear him. And he would go home after Sunday and he would go behind the doors of his house and go into his room and have one of his fretful fits. He felt like he was such a failure. And when he died, he had inscribed on his tombstone the epitaph from William Cooper's song, There is a fountain filled with blood, and the epitaph, When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Now what people heard when they heard Spurgeon preached was this eloquence that was astounding and awesome. What he heard was this poor, lisping, stammering tongue. J.H. Jowett, one of the greatest preachers in this country, talked about never being able to feel the sunshine. And he talked about living his life most of the time, feeling the shadows. So what I want to talk about this morning is how to overcome King David's blues or how to deal with depression. And I want to say right up front, before I say anything else, that there, are, there is a form of depression that is the result of a chemical imbalance it's called physiological or genetic depression. And if you suffer from physiological depression, no amount of sermonizing is going to help you. No amount of counseling is going to do any good. It's probably going to be counterproductive. So if you have that kind of depression, what you need to do is see a physician and get medication because that's the only thing that's going to help you. Till you get that, you're not going to be much better. 
What I want to talk about this morning is, however, spiritual depression. It's depression that comes from the circumstances of life. It's King David's blues. It's what happens when you just get down because of the circumstances. What should you do? Well, first of all, you need to have a talk with your soul instead of letting your soul talk to you. The problem with depression is that most of the time when it comes, we become very introverted and we become so introspective that we listen to this voice that talks inside of us. You know what I'm talking about. Now, David called it his soul. He means his essential self. This little voice that talks to you, you know. Now, I I can tell you what kind of language that little voice uses that talks to you. It uses the language of impending doom. It talks about how bad things are and how it's going to get worse. A guy who was in the early service said, my granddaddy used to say to me, cheer up, things could get worse. So I cheered up and sure enough they did. And and that's what this little voice does. It it talks to you and it says, you know, everything's bad and it's going to get worse and you're a failure and nobody likes you. See that group of folks over there? They're talking about you. I heard about a guy who couldn't go to a football game because every time the players got in a huddle, he thought they were talking about him. I mean, you know that little voice? fellow told me one time, he said, I pulled up behind a car, stopped at a stop sign, it had a bumper sticker on it, it said, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. Well, that's how my soul talks to me. A guy said to me one Sunday, he said, preacher, you're ugly and if you need a second opinion, you're crazy too. That's my, that's how my soul speaks to me and how it talks to you and what it says is, you know, you're not popular and you're not good and you're a failure and life's bad and it's going to get worse. And so the psalmist, it's amazing how often he names his soul and he begins to talk to it. And he takes the control and he becomes the aggressor and he says to his soul, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And all the way through this, when King David got the blues, he started talking to his soul. It involves two things. It involves a recognition that you have depression. An honest admission of that. Now there's a thin line, are you listening? There's a thin line between positive, a positive confession and a downright lie. And so you can go into the bookstores and you can find all these books on, the, on positive thinking and positive confession. Let me tell you something, those guys that write those books are not any better off than we are. And they'll tell you in those books, you need to make a positive confession. What that means is, say something positive even if you know it's not positive. I heard a preacher say one time, he went to visit a friend and he said that the friend had, a, had an appointment so he just kind of acknowledged his presence out in the secretary's office and said, you know, and so the preacher said to his friend, how are you doing? And, and the guy said, oh, great, great, everything's great. And then he went on into his counseling session. And the secretary said to the visiting pastor, he said, she said, can you tell me the difference between a downright lie and a positive confession? She said, things aren't great. So the fact is, there, are, there is trouble in the church. The fact is, my pastor isn't healthy and he isn't in good health. And he goes around with this smile on his face saying, everything's great, making this positive confession when there is no positive confession to make. Where is the difference between a positive confession and a downright lie? The first thing is to acknowledge that you have depression. The second is to do some interrogation. Now watch this carefully. He did a little honest interrogation. He said... 
Why are you disquieted within me? Why is there this inner turmoil? And he did this interrogation. And from the text, watch this, there are two reasons for it. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people get depressed. But there are two in the text, and that's what I'm dealing with. The first is a conscious absence of God. A conscious absence of God. As the deer pants for the water brook, even so I pant for thee, O God. And the problem is that the deer is not made for the desert, and the desert's not made for the deer. The deer's got to have water. It's not like a camel. A camel can go two or three days without a drink of water, but a deer has to have it continuously and periodically or he'll starve to death. As the deer pants for the water, I pant for thee. Listen, you're not made for the desert. And the desert's not made for you. You're made for God. And you can't live very long, very healthily in this world without a conscious awareness of His presence. And the second cause of his depression was the negative language of speech of his friends. He said, why my, my friends say all the time, where is your God? Now there are two things involved in this. One is the fact that when you get around negative people who talk about negative things and they criticize and they say negative stuff all the time, you're going to, get ne- you're going to have negative thoughts. I mean, it rubs off. That doesn't mean you're not to associate with just, you know, the upbeat all the you know, that's the only people you'd associate with. Let me tell you something. If you run around with a crowd that thinks and talks negatively, it ain't going to be long until you're going to be thinking, thinking and talking negatively. There's more involved here than this, though. Notice, these people he's talking to are not, they're not pagans. They're not godless. They're God's people. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, where now is your God? And if you want to read the line, between the lines here, what they're, what they're, they're not disappointed in God. They're disappointed in David. And it just kind of oozes out the pores here that they placed on David an unbearable burden. They placed on him the burden of deity. Let me tell you something. You can't answer everybody's questions. You can't solve everybody's problems. Only God can do that. You can't carry everybody's burdens. Only God can do that. And if you assume for yourselves or you let somebody place on you the role of deity, you're in for trouble because that's a burden nobody can bear. And David was crushed with this depression and exile because all of a sudden he began to bear this burden of deity. He let these people put on him more than he could bear. Why are you disquieted within me, he said. Because he assumed a role he didn't have a right assuming. What do you do when you get the blues? Well, you have a talk with your soul. Secondly, you dwell on the God who is present and not the things that are past. Now, I want to read verse 4 to you, and I want to see if you can tell the difference between verse 4 and verse 6. I'm not sure we did in the first service, so I'm going to try on this, this crowd. Maybe, they're, maybe you're a little smarter. Listen to what it says in verse 4. These things, underline, these things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the good old days. He's talking about the things of the past. 
And he remembers when back in the good old days he led this procession of people and they went into the house of God and there were these uh, celebrations of joy and festivity and he's remembering those things of the past. If he were thinking today, this would be the way he'd be thinking. Some of you think like this, I imagine. Well, I can remember when our kids were young and we were so involved with our children and had so much to do with them. Now the children are gone. I don't have anything to live for. The nest is empty. Or, or it's like this. I used to be so healthy, I could do anything. Man, I could work from, from sunrise to sunset. I was uh, strong and dynamic, and, 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 and everybody listened. I had, you know, everybody liked my advice. I mean, now who wants to listen to an old man? Or who, who pays any attention to an old woman? I've been put on the shelf, and I don't have the energy. I just, in fact, I don't have the energy to do anything anymore. I, no, no reason for me to go on living. Or it's like this. My husband, my wife, we lived together for 50 years. We loved each other so much. Everything went on. We it went on together, and now he's gone. Now she's died. What do I have to live for? See, focusing on the things of the past. Now, memory, memory is a wonderful thing, and God has given us the gift of memory. But when you dwell on things that are transient and temporal, dwell on things over which you have no control that, that, that are a part of the past, you're in for trouble. Now see if you can tell the difference in verse 4 and then verse 6. Look at it. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of the Jordan, the valley of the Jordan, and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. You, you see the difference? Can you tell the difference? In verse 4, he's thinking of the things of the past. In verse 6, he's remembering the God of the present. Now, the fact is, and we might as well admit it, that the Christian life does, run in, does move in cycles, I think. And there are times when God seems a lot closer than at other times, and there are times when you can just sense the miraculous work of God in your life that are, you know, it's, it's more evident than at other times. Uh, I think I'm in one of those down times on the circle, on the cycle myself, I'll be honest with you. And there are mornings when you're going to wake up and you're going to feel that God's a million miles away. You might as well be aware of that. There, Christian life runs, moves in cycles. But God's the same. And he said, when I get in these down times and I'm thinking of all the things the way they used to be, he said, what I want to do is I want to put the focus on the God who never changes so that there are these shadows of turnings that make life difficult sometimes, but there is no shadow of turning with him. He's the same yesterday, today, and, the, and forever. And so what he's saying is this, I remember thee in the valley of the Jordan in the fruitful times and in the mountain peaks and the mountains of Mizar as a reference to those little hills you know, those little difficult day-by-day -day experiences that we encounter. And what he's saying is this, I'm not going to focus on the things of the past. I'm going to focus on the God of the present. All right, third, when you get King David's blues, remember that the reasons for hope are greater than the reasons for despair. Now, there are reasons for despair. 
And I would be more than presumptuous if I got up here and tried to say that you shouldn't grieve, you know, and you should never be sad and all that. There are reasons why you should be. There are reasons for grief, and there are reasons for despair, and there are reasons for heartache. I, I'm aware of that. And I'm not about to stand up here and tell you that you should never be sad or never grieve or never have any, you know, sorrow. I'm not going to tell you that because it's not true. I am going to tell you, however, that there is a depth and a length to grieving that is appropriate for the situation. Now, if you, if you want to grieve over the cowboy loss, you know, that's appropriate, I would say. <laughs> I used to say it a lot more than I do now after the change in ownership, but, uh, it, it, you know, I, you, you might want to grieve over the cowboy loss, but, I mean, not all day. As a matter of fact, if you're going to grieve over the cowboy loss, you better calendar. <laughs> you might as well go ahead and calendar a little time each Sunday now for the next 12, 12 weeks because I think you're going to need a little time because they, you know what I'm saying. I, uh, I, I have a book in my office on depression by, by a man named Archibald Hart. As a matter of fact, I mentioned in the first service that I met a man this week who's his best friend. He's here this morning, as a matter of fact, in this service. Archibald Hart is a professor of psychology at Fuller Seminary out in California, and he has this book, he has this helpful statement here. Listen to what he says. He says, I find it helpful to explain to the client that there is an appropriate depth and period of depression that corresponds to all losses. Small losses only need small depressions, but large losses need more. I play a game in which I attribute a 20-minute depression to my coffee being spilled over my favorite suit, a one-hour depression to having a flat tire, a 24-hour depression to receiving a tra traffic ticket, a 48-hour depression to a fallout with my boss, I then present a hypothetical loss and ask the client to choose a depression that's appropriate. What he's saying is this, it's all right to grieve, and you should, but don't go on all the, all the time with it. Because, watch this, because the reason for hope is greater than the reason for despair, whatever that reason for despair might be. Does that make sense? Now the question is, what are the reasons for hope? I'll give you three. The first is, because this life belongs to God. This life. This life you have belongs to God. This life that's going through this trouble, that's going through this difficult period of time, this life belongs to Him. This life that's facing an impending death, it belongs to him. For we brothers are in his hands. We really are. This life is his. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are his inheritance. We're what he gets out of his death. He's going to take care of this life. It's his. He does hold us in his hands. Not like some man would hold some toy, although you mean more to him than a toy could ever mean to a child or a gem to any miser. And he holds you not like a puppeteer holds a puppet on a string, although he holds thousands of more strings on your heart than any puppeteer. And as the world's greatest father would long to hold an only son in his hands, he holds us. This life is in his hands. It's his life. It's his. 
the second reason why we have to hope is because these are his troubles. Now I want you to read again verse 7 with me. He says, Deep calls to deep hath the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. He's talking about it. This is a, dry, this is a drowning man here. You ever been near drowning? I've never nearly drowned, but I thought I was. I'm scared of water. And I got out in the water, and I had on a life jacket, but I'm pretty heavy, if you hadn't thought of that already. And I know whether that life jacket's going to hold me up or not. I was kind of getting under the water a little. And that's a scary feeling. And this is a drowning man. Every time he comes up for air, the, the wave sucks him under again. And every time he opens his mouth to get a breath, he gets a mouthful of water. He's dying. He's drowning. That's what he says. But notice that it uses, he says, thy breakers and thy waves. You know what he's saying? These waves that are about to drown me are your waves. I hope you can catch this this morning. That trouble's about to ruin you. It's his trouble. That burden's about to break your back. It's his back. That wave that's about to drown you is his wave. This is his problem. This is his wave. These are his troubles. This is his burden. Hallelujah. And there's nothing that comes in your life, no waves, no breakers, no troubles, no burdens that are not his. He permits them, and he wants to bear them. What is the hope for despair? What is the reason for hope? Third, because my future belongs to him. Look at verse 11. He says, hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Now, I don't know what that says to you. What that says to me is, my future belongs to God. I will yet praise him. I may not can do it today. I may not can stand and sing like this choir sing, sang that marvelous song of praise. I may not be able to praise him today, the psalmist said, but my future belongs to him and I will praise him one day. And I will sing again. I will yet praise him. It's like that woman that came up to her pastor. He had just lost a child. And there are some men and women in churches that are there to keep preachers humble. Believe me. I'll not name any names, but she came up to the, her pastor and he was going through this grieving process and she said, now, now straighten up. Don't you believe in Romans 8, 28 anymore? All things work together for good? He said, yeah, I still believe that. I just can't preach it now. But I will one day. And so a lady came up to Ron Dunn. I heard him tell the story after the church service. His son had chemical depression and killed himself. And this, this woman came up to Ron Dunn after the service. She was a visitor in his service. He didn't know her from Adam's sister. And she said to him, Brother Dunn, I'm so glad to see you smile today. And he said, well, thank you. Appreciate it. And she said, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I am really glad to see you smile. He said, well, yeah, I do. I appreciate that. She said, no, you don't understand. My daughter died six months ago. And I thought I would never smile again. And having known your story, it gives me hope that indeed I will smile again. Let me tell you something. I'm serious. The people I pastor 
aren't the least bit concerned whether Peter walked on water whether Jesus turned water into real wine or not. I mean, I've heard sermons preached on whether that was real wine or grape juice. The people I pastor don't give a flip about that. The people I pastor want to know, will I ever smile again? That's what we want to know. They want to know, am I going to make it? Am I going to get through this? Will I ever praise him again? Will I ever feel like singing? Will I ever pray again? Will I, ever, will I get through this? And I'm here to tell you, you will. For the future belongs to him. And there will be a time when you'll praise him again. And there'll be a time when you can sing and smile again. I promise you that on the authority of God's word. You will sing and smile again. The future's his. And that's the reason why you have more reason to hope than despair. One last thought. When you get King David's blues, you need to keep on affirming your hope in God in spite of the constant failure. And so he says, I will yet praise him. I will do it. I will yet. It may not get any better. It sure may not but you can still affirm your faith in God. I, uh, I suppose that one of the best things that ever happened to me was when I preached that, y'all remember that unforgettable series I did on Habakkuk here a few years ago? Y'all remember that, don't you? And, and, I, and I came into that study of the book of Habakkuk and never had even hardly read the book and starts out in this despair. This prophet is in despair, and, and, he's, and, and, and things are so bad for him, he can't understand why God's people suffer and, and, the, and, the, and the godless prosper. And, and at the end of the book, it's no different. But he's praising God in the end of the book, even though, and, and you'd suspect, you'd think, well, something good happened between the first and the last of that book, but it didn't change. It's still the same. I want to read the last verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I can lose everything. I can lose my possessions. I can lose my family. I can lose my health. I'm still going to serve God. He's saying what, the, what Job said, though he slay me, and if we used our language in that, it would be like this, though he cut me off in hell, in, dark, in the darkness of hell forever, I'm still going to serve him. It's the affirmation that regardless of what happens, I affirm the fact that I'm standing here and not going to move. I'm going to stand for God and nothing's going to move me from that. And it doesn't matter what happens, I'm still going to be serving God. That's what he's saying. It's the affirmation that regardless of what comes, I'm staying. And so they came to Martin Luther when he nailed those documents of uh, rejection or whatever on the doors in Wittenberg 
And they said to him, What happens when the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church comes and your career and your future, maybe your, even life, your own life is threatened? Where are you going to be then? And Martin Luther said, I'll be then where I am now, resting on the everlasting arms of God. Let's pray together. Now, Father, somehow I pray that you'll bring this lesson, this masquille from the sons of Korah to a moment of decision. Because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Is there anyone here this morning, young or old, who needs to profess faith in Jesus Christ for his salvation or her salvation? I invite you to come this morning to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Look here. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to come and let Jesus come in to indwell your life. You do that by faith, trustful surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here this morning who would need to say, as one did in the early service, I'm not really pleased with the way I'm living. My, my, my feelings of sorrow and sadness are the result of the fact that I'm not what I ought to be. I want to I wanna come and renew my commitment to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone concerned about the fact that you're not what you ought to be? And is there one this morning who would say, you know, we feel right here. We want to join this church. A guy said to me this week, he said, I visited all the churches in town. That church, First Baptist Church, is where I feel at home. It's where I, it's where I belong. It's where I want to be. Maybe you'd need to come and place your life serving God here with us. You understand the invitations. I have a feeling that some of you will need to respond while we stand to sing. We invite you to come.